Well, we've now reached our halfway point in the book of Exodus on our Wednesday Bible studies of this book. So we're going to be changing things just a little bit here. And I kind of mentioned this last time, but the main thing that's going to be changing is the fact of we're going to be, for the most part, taking more than one chapter at a time. Now, I'm not going to read all of chapters 20 through 23, but that's what this video is going to be covering. So if you want the entire text of all of that, you know, you, you'll have to read that uh, on your own. But what I am going to be doing is kind of hitting some of these highlights and maybe some things. And there might also be some things that uh, I might accidentally even overlook, or there might be some things that I just am going to have to overlook just because it really would take uh, an extremely long amount of time if you just look at every single uh, thing in here. And there's always something else that we can learn. Uh, but I am going to just share with you a, a few things and maybe some uh, some statements for us to really kind of hold on to and learn from these chapters. Now, in chapter 20, you probably already know this, but this is actually where we get the Ten Commandments. See, the book of Exodus starts to change um, after this point, because up to this point, for the most part, every single chapter has been part of this this wonderful story. And, you know, we like stories. Let's just kind of face it. A lot of times in the Bible, it's easier for us to read those chapters that things are just happening. Boom, 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 boom. We, we love that. And we love to, to read those things and to experience those things. But now we get into Exodus chapter 20, which we can tolerate pretty well the Ten Commandments. But then after this, we start to get into all of these other commandments. And, and to us, we start to wonder, you know, where is the story going from here? You know, how is it continuing on? Now, there's a lot for us to gather from it. And, and I don't want us to, to just completely dismiss it all. But what I do want us to see is it is going to start slowing down and talking about the specific laws and what makes Israel special. Because something is happening right here. They are at Mount Sinai. God is entering into this covenant relationship with them. And he is laying down the law. He is telling them how they are going to be uh, from this time on. Kind of a parallel of that in the New Testament happens at the Sermon on the Mount. You know, at the Sermon on the Mount, that's at the very beginning uh, of Jesus's ministry. And by the way, I think it's, um, I think there's a reason for that, that it's a sermon on a mountain and you have uh, Mount Sinai here. Um, but at Mount Sinai, that's where God lays down the law. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters five through seven, that's where Jesus lays down the new law, so to speak, and kind of how things are going to be a little different. Um, but uh, going back to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to see here the the uh, Ten Commandments uh, that are stated. And, and sometimes these can be called different things. We probably uh, refer to them the most as the Ten Commandments. Um, they're actually referred to in the text as like the Ten Words. So that's kind of interesting. A little different than, than sort of a, a commandment is what we think about. It doesn't change what they are. Uh, obviously, there, there's still going to be these 10 statements, these uh, these 10 sayings from which we learn so much and from which really uh, a lot of the rest of the commands can can kind of fall under different categories of these. So let's start look, working our way through the 10 commandments together. Let's look at verses one through seven. God spoke all these words. I, the Lord and your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, 
responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, and showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not uh, will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. Okay, so um, these verses right here already start to talk about their relationship with God. And that's why I kind of divided it right here because this is all of them specifically dealing with God. Um, the, the rest of the Ten Commandments are gonna deal with, with how they deal with one another. But up to this point, all of these commands deal with how they, they deal with God. They also tell us a little bit about God's nature too. And that, that's an amazing thing about the law. The law is going to reveal something about God and about his nature. Um, we see in verse two, that he is talking about how he is the Lord, he is their God, he is the one who brought them from this land of Egypt. He's the one who brought them um, from the, the house of slavery is what's called here. You know, it's uh, in the Hebrew it says that the house of slaves. This is gonna be something that God continues to, to appeal to uh, throughout the law. And he kind of keeps saying, remember that this is where I brought you from. This Remember this is part of your past. Because the reason why he keeps bringing that up is so that they might learn from it. And so ultimately, so that they will learn not to do that to other people. Sadly, what we see through Israel's history is they oftentimes look far too much like Egypt did with them. They haven't learned their lesson. They, they haven't learned from this. But God keeps appealing to this and says, look, I brought you from the house of slavery. I brought you out of slavery. Now you are free and you are connected with me. And that, that's a wonderful uh, kind of freedom. And that's a wonderful connection that they have. But because of that connection, there's a few things about God that he wants them to know. For starters, in verse 3, uh, connected to who God is, we also see there's supposed to be no other gods. Okay, to us, most likely that makes sense. We, we don't really question that uh, at all. To them, they lived in a little different time period. You know, they lived in a time period that, uh, well, let's face it, they just came out of the land of Egypt. How many gods were there in Egypt? A bunch. Okay, and sadly, they bring some of them with them. But God says they should have none of those gods before him. Well, how far should that be? Well, in verses four and following, he starts talking about how they shouldn't be any idols. Uh, they shouldn't make some type of carved image like this. Now, one thing I will state about this carved image, obviously it's, it's okay for them to carve some image. Because if we fast forward in the book of, of Exodus, we will find out that in the tabernacle, Part of what they were supposed to do was carve out angels, you know, carve out these these cherubim and to place them around the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Well, why isn't that going against this command? That's because the Ark of the Covenant wasn't something they were supposed to bow down and worship. See, there's a difference between just, you know, carving something and having uh, some image and then like actually bowing down to that image. And what's being described here is bowing down and serving uh, that image or, you know, that representation. Basically, they're not supposed to have any other gods and they're not supposed to have any type of idols because God has already made his own image. The image of God is human. That, that's what we are. We are made in the image of God. We are the image of God. That's why there's no need for any other types of images uh, to, be, to be made and to, to be part of worship. Um, also with that, I, I guess kind of the way that I said that, could be a little confusing because, you know, we shouldn't bow down and worship one another. You know, we, we don't bow down and worship human. 
no, we're made in the image of God, but we don't bow down to, to one another like that uh, in the sense of, of worship. In verse 7, we see about the name of God. Now, I believe that whenever you look at what it means about the name of the Lord and the significance of the name of the Lord, what you will find is it means so much more than just uh, kind of uh, just, you know, saying the, 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 the name of the Lord out loud in some type of way that is, uh, you know, maybe you're not uh, talking to him. You know, one way that I sort of mention it, though, is whenever you say the name of God or Lord or something like that, something that God is known for, you should either be talking to him or about him. If you're not talking to him or about him, then you would be using the name in vain. But also this phrase about taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, it means more than just the words that you say. I think that whenever you look at how the phrase is used, you'll also find that this deals with the way that you live your life. Okay, for us as Christians, let's let's also kind of bring in uh, to this, you know, Jesus Christ and and what all this means. Because you are a Christian, you bear the name. You take the name of Jesus. We even have a song about taking the name of Jesus with you. Well, we take the name of Jesus whenever we take the name Christian. Christian, it means like Christ. So whenever we say that we are a Christian, we are bearing the name of the Lord our God. But are we bearing it in vain or properly? Well, see, that depends on how we bear it. That depends on how we take it. That depends on what we do with this name and how uh, we display this name. It has much less to do with the, the actual name of the Lord, and it has so much to do with how they behave about it, how they respond to the power and the name of the Lord. The name is the one, uh, the name is what has the authority. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray with the authority that Jesus gives us. Jesus is the reason why we can pray uh, within his name and have uh, our prayers answered. Um, okay, so these things, uh, these deal with uh, our relationship to God. Um, also, I guess I kind of said that earlier that uh, I stopped a little bit too short of that because there's one more that does deal with our relationship with us and God. Sorry, it couldn't fit on the screen. That's why I kind of divide it like this. So I, maybe I didn't divide exactly where it should have been, but the next verse also deals with our relationship with God or human relationship with God. This is about the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. Get the picture? Why? Verse 11 tells us why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Okay, so we've kind of already come in contact with the, the Sabbath and the idea about how it's holy and it's different whenever they were gathering up uh, the manna, if you remember. They weren't supposed to gather on the seventh day. That was a Sabbath day. It was a different day. And here we have the specific command to remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. Why is it holy? It's holy because the Lord made it holy. The Lord worked for six days. You know, the creation week wasn't seven days in the sense of what we think. It was six days. That's whenever God was actually doing something. But he set aside that seventh day as the day of rest. So six days he worked, the seventh day he rested. All seven days together, it makes a full week. So yes, God created everything in six days, but it is a 
it's an entire week that we refer to as uh, the creation uh, week. Uh, but because of that, that's why they were supposed to remember Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. It was a day in which all of the Israelites were, if they didn't do it other times, they would at least have to pause on this day, on the Sabbath day, and to kind of uh, maybe take their eyes off of the work that they're doing down below and maybe point their eyes up at, at God and to see what he's doing and to rest in the fact that, that he is holy and he is the one who's in control uh, and to, to worship him, you know, on that day. And so all of this was connected with the Sabbath day and making it holy. Now we get into the next uh, division about um, human relationship with other humans. That, that's what the rest of the Ten Commandments will deal with. Beginning in verse 12 and going down through verse 17. The commandments are like this. Honor your father and mother that you may live a long time in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. I think that last one you kind of get the picture. Basically, he is covering everything that you could covet. Do not covet those things. Um, we, we see all these statements and we see these commands. All of them are important. Uh, this in verse 12, honor your father and mother. This one is the first commandment that's given with a promise that's actually brought out in the New Testament. Uh, and that promise is that you may live a long time in the land that your, uh, the Lord your God is giving you. Um, I don't think that this, this is only talking about the individual. I think that if you do honor your father and mother whenever you're growing up, um, yes, okay, you will live into a, you know adulthood and you will continue to respect authority and, and things will continue to go well for you. I think that's part of what's being stated, but I think what's being stated is beyond that. It goes not just to the individual, just one person, but it goes to the whole people, all of Israel. If they are a people that will honor their father and mother, then they will live in this land. They will continue to be faithful, uh, not only in the, the sense of honoring their father and their mother, but they will be faithful to God because their parents should honor God. And then their parents before them should honor God. You know, it, it should go back all the way. Um, and they should be a type of people who are honoring God and doing what uh, he has commanded. Uh, some of these other commands, I think, are, are pretty self-explanatory. You know, we, 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 of course, know that we should not murder. We shouldn't commit adultery. shouldn't steal. This thing about giving uh, this false testimony. Um, obviously, this does have to do with like within a legal setting. Um, definitely. But even more than that, you know, we, we need to be careful about the things that we say of those other people around us, about our neighbor. And when speaking about your neighbor, don't covet the things that he has. This coveting, um, it, that, that's kind of connected, if you remember, all the way back to the very first sin. Because, you know, even the first sin could be said that it was, it was coveting that fruit, you know, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said that that is forbidden, but Adam and Eve, they both, they saw that. And, uh, you know, Eve, she... She saw that, she coveted it, and she took hold of it. We shouldn't be like that. You know, that's what God is saying, that they are called to be different. Uh, they are called to do better uh, than that. Okay, well, let's keep reading in this chapter, though. So right after the Ten Commandments are given, uh, which is what we just looked at, after that, this is what the people experienced. They saw God's presence. This is how it's described. Verses 18 through 21. 
All the people were seeing the thundering and the lightning and heard the sound of the horn and saw the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled with fear and kept their distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. The people kept their distance, but Moses drew near the thick uh, darkness where God was. So if you look at how kind of the story unfolds, what you get is God reaches out to the people and he wants to have this close connection with them. And the people, like how they're responding here, they say to Moses, you know, they kind of push him forward and they say, look, you go speak to God. We don't want to die. They're seeing something about God. They're seeing his power. They're seeing his might. They're seeing this thundering and lightning and they're hearing these noises and they're seeing this smoke on the mountain. And I mean, it would be kind of scary. I mean, I think we can understand that. But what they respond with is, you know, they, they send Moses and they kind of want him to, to intercede on their behalf. And he does. And he is the one that, that is the go-between. He is the one who takes up the position of a, of a prophet. He is the one who communicates to God on behalf of the people, but then also he communicates um, to the, the people on behalf of God. I think I said it both ways. He does both of those things. He goes in between God and mankind, and he, uh, he communicates both ways. The people, they keep their distance. Moses drew near. Moses also talks about how he says they, they shouldn't fear God in this, because this is actually part of this test. Now, this test is not something that God is, is you know, trying to get them to fail. No, whenever God actually is involved in testing, what you see with those tests is that God wants them to succeed. He is helping them to succeed in, in many different ways. And that's what he's trying to do right here. He's trying to help them in succeeding. Sometimes they don't do that, though, however. Um, so the, the rest of this chapter, though, it will continue on and, and talk about some of these other specific laws. It's going to talk about altars, and we're not going to look at those altars that God wanted them uh, to make. But you're going to continue with, with so many different specific laws. And now I just want to spend the remainder of this, this class time just sort of hitting some of those highlights and taking a look at those uh, together. A few of them that uh, I think might be interesting and uh, worthy to kind of pay attention to. Maybe some significance for us in the New Testament times as well. So let's kind of look at some of those together. So in Exodus chapter 21, uh, we do get some interesting statements about servants or slaves, you know, depending on kind of what translation you're reading from. Uh, but this is stated in Exodus 21. Let me say this before I read this. Whenever I say the word slave, we think of all this negative and, and we think of some of the slavery that maybe we've seen in our own country. Um, and the slavery that we've seen in our own country, it was largely uh, kind of what we would consider racially based. That's not at all the type of slavery that was familiar to the Hebrew people. Um, the Hebrews themselves, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Now, if you look back even at the person of Moses, you remember that Moses, whenever he fled from Egypt, they thought that he was an Egyptian. So, I mean, as far as the Hebrews and the Egyptians, they didn't look different. It wasn't like a racist thing. You know, one was, was darker skinned and lighter skinned and stuff. No, the, there was a, a mix of, among them uh, each, you know, both the Hebrews and the Egyptians. So uh, that wasn't a motivator for, for this. So whatever type of thing that we might bring to the table and, and think about that with slavery, uh, we should probably kind of, Kind of push those things aside because that's not what we're really looking at here. In fact, in the Bible, 
um, even though slavery wasn't really ever something that God, um, I, I don't think really God ever spoke favorably about becoming a servant or becoming a slave, but he did allow it in certain situations. Usually it was something like, well, you couldn't pay for some debt that was that was outstanding. What do you do about that? Well, you became a slave, you became a servant of the person that you owed that debt to, and you paid off that debt. It was only supposed to be a temporary thing. Uh, after seven years, you were supposed to be debt free. Um, so we'll, we'll see that as well. So all of these things were just a temporary thing. So it was allowed under the law of Moses. It's not necessarily something that was encouraged, but it was something that was allowed. It was a way to pay back debt. Uh, we have other ways, of course, of kind of paying debt back debt today, but this was their concept that worked for them. So Exodus 21 and verse 2, this is part of the law. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he will go out free without paying anything. It was a way to pay off debt. Also, about a servant and about remembering the servant and how to treat servants. You know, we, we think slave, we think servant, we think all oh, that's bad stuff. Well, it wasn't supposed to be. Verses 5 uh, and 6. But if the servant should declare, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Okay, so at the end of that time, he had the option. If he didn't want to be free, why would he not want to be free? There could be a few different reasons, but there was there was a way for them, for him to still stay under his, his master's household. And this is it, verse 6. Then his master must bring him to the judges, and he will bring him the door of the doorpost and his master will pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. It was a way for um, someone to to be under their master's household. You know, sometimes their life would be better if they were under someone else's roof. And that's why some people would, would kind of choose to do that for one reason or another. But here in this case, I bring this up because, you know, we even have a song that talks about pierce my ear. We're talking about us serving God. It comes back to this part of the law of Moses. If your ear was pierced, you would be a servant uh, forever of God. So those are some of the things of the law, but there's a few more things as well. So let's keep kind of looking at some of these. Now in uh, chapter 22, I don't think I have anything else I want to mention about in 21, but in Exodus 22, uh, we get this phrase about being a foreigner, and this is connected with the slaves and the servants too. So, so remember all of this together. Uh, they are told as part of the law in Exodus 22:21, you must not wrong a resident foreigner nor oppress him, for you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. Okay, this goes back to how they treat other people and how they treat those who you would call foreigners. Okay, the ones who are foreigners who are in their land, they needed to treat them properly because they themselves were foreigners in a foreign land. So that's one of the things that that they were supposed to uh, bring to the table whenever they had their own servants, had their own slaves, and also whenever a foreigner was in their midst. How we treat foreigners uh, is very important to God, and we need to pay attention to that. Also in this passage here in Exodus 22, I guess this isn't so much about the, the foreigner heading, but in verse 28, we read this. You must not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. All this, once again, has to do with this is how they are called to be. This is the type of people that they're supposed to be. And this is also different than the, uh, the, the way that they grew up and, and lived in Egypt. God is telling them things are going to be different. Things have to be different. Another part of that 
that we uh, come in contact with here in the law is the justice of God. Our God is just and he cares about justice. In Exodus 23, verse 2, uh, listen to this and I want you to kind of see how some of these sort of balance one another out a little bit too. Let's look at it together. You must not follow a crowd in doing evil things. In a lawsuit, you must not offer testimony that agrees with the crowd so that so as to pervert justice. And you must not show partiality to a poor man in his lawsuit. All of that is important. All this has to do with, with justice. You know, sometimes we might be uh, kind of more likely to sort of have a little bit more leeway with a poor man in his lawsuit. But actually what God says is don't show partiality to the poor man. You know, hold him accountable. To, to everything. Hold them to the same accountability that you, you should anyways, because that is what justice has to do with. And justice in the land is important. They shouldn't be just following in some crowd to do evil things uh, and to pervert justice. God says none of that is to be allowed among his people. Uh, we also see here in verse 26 that God also tells them, you must not turn away justice for the poor people in their lawsuits. Okay, see, this is where I said it kind of balances itself out a little bit. Verse 3 says not to show partiality to a poor person in a lawsuit. Verse 6 says do not turn away justice for the, per for the poor person in the lawsuit. That's kind of difficult to say. Both of those kind of balance each other out because they, they say, look, you don't need to show partiality to the poor. But you do need to make sure you pay attention at the same time. So, you know, that was very important because sometimes the poor people... Um, of almost any culture, really, they can easily be overlooked. People can just kind of get busy with other things and just sort of overlook what's going on in the, the poor communities around them. Well, God's people are not supposed to be like that. They should pay attention to the poor people, but not pay attention to the extent of they pervert justice. Okay, All this has to do with the, the type of people that the people of the Lord are called to be. Also in verse 9, we see the concept of a foreigner showing up again. Uh, these are not going to be the only times that you see this, but I just want you to notice that how much God does appeal to this. He says, you must not oppress a foreigner, a resident foreigner, since you know the life of a foreigner, for you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. He says that in verse 9. He's already said that. We've already looked at that before. But he says it again, and he's going to continue to appeal to that and say, look, you were a resident foreigner at one point. You know how it is. You should treat them better whenever you're the ones who have the opportunity to treat them better. Uh, would they do it? Sometimes, maybe. Sometimes, maybe not. Uh, but God's, that doesn't change what God said. God still wanted them to be respectful of these uh, foreigners who are in their midst. And I think that all of these things we've been looking at up to this point, there are principles that we can carry over today and that we can learn from it. We can learn about the nature of God as well. The specifics. We are not required by law, so to speak, to do the exact same things that the Israelites were. That was their covenant. Um, you know, our covenant is now uh, through Christ. Things have changed. But there still are things we can learn. So let's learn some, uh, some more things as well. You'll also notice that some of these uh, other commands that we've been looking at, uh, they expand upon what the Ten Commandments talk about. Like this one in Exodus 23, verse 13. Uh, they are told, pay attention to do everything I have told you, and do not even mention the name of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. So didn't God already tell them that back with the Ten Commandments? Yes, he did. 
But sometimes these things are just expanding that. And right here, it's expanded so much that, look, they're not even supposed to be saying the names of other gods on their lips. Now, that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, obviously we can see even within the law that we don't need to read this and get like um, so strict on this that that uh, we can't allow them to ever say the name of another God because they do from time to time. Israelites and faithful people of God, they do say the names of pagan gods. Sometimes they say it in a mocking way and whatnot. Even the prophets kind of get on to them, uh, you know, about that and about worshiping different gods. But what's being stated here is they shouldn't say those names of the other gods in any type of worship. This kind of goes back to uh, making the, the graven images, you know, the carved images. It's one thing to make some carved image. It's another thing to worship it. And it's one thing to say the name of some pagan god. It's another thing to actually worship that god. But we should be, this does speak about how distant we should be uh, from those pagan gods. And, and maybe there's even something that we should learn uh, from this today as well, I think. Now, the last part of chapter 23, we get a very interesting story. Now we're kind of going to get back into a little bit more of a kind of a narrative. Kind of the story is, is continuing on. But we notice some things about this. Uh, I've labeled this as the angel of the Lord. He's actually not really called the angel of the Lord right here, but it is this angel that comes from the Lord. That's why I called him the angel of the Lord. We have seen specifically this character show up several times. If you remember the, the burning bush, kind of interesting because right there we see that, was it an angel or was it God himself or, or was it the Lord? You know, he's, he's actually called all three of those uh, connected with the burning bush. And right here, now we see this angel but as you read this about the angel, you will find out that, you know, he's to be treated as if he is the same thing as God. Now, for us Christians, I think that what we see in passages like this is, is we see a foundation for the belief of, of how Jesus is God and how he should be treated as God because he is God and he is God in the flesh. So we kind of start to see a foundation for that. And God is preparing their mind ahead of time for the concept of what he's going to do later on in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that this, I'm not saying that I believe this right here, this angel is Jesus. Ah, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But here in this case, this angel was supposed to be treated just like he was God himself. And part of that, of course, is that he was sent by God. But notice that there's a little bit more of a connection with this. Notice that this angel has actually the name of God within him. I guess enough uh, backstory about that. Let's actually read it. Verses 20 through 23. God says, I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you as you journey and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Take heed because of him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you diligently obey him and do all that I command, then I will be an enemy to your enemy and I will be an adversary to your adversary. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, Canaan, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will destroy them completely. So this angel of the Lord, this angel that is sent from the Lord, has the name of God in him, verse 21 says. I think there's a lot of significance right there. And there's also something, you know, a connection that we need to, to remember about taking the Lord's name in vain. Well, you know, this angel is taking the name of the Lord. He's not taking it in vain, of course. He's taking it, and with that, we see that he is coming 
in the name of the Lord, in the might of the Lord. He is to be treated as the Lord. He is, I guess one way that you can sort of maybe look at it, at least this is kind of how I look at it. This angel of the Lord was going to be a messenger who was sent and who is going to be kind of uh, some type of, I guess, a, a physical representation of God. Because we can't see God, we can't, you know, uh, experience him in those ways. But the angels, we can. And this angel was sent to be kind of this uh, this way to see God's presence. And the way to know that God is in their midst and he's doing all these things. And he promises that he's going to completely destroy these other people. These other people are the ones who are in the land of Canaan. And he's going to make it to where the Israelites can enter the land of Canaan. Because the land of Canaan is the promised land. Let's keep reading because there's a little bit more in the, the following verses. Verses 24 through 26 now. God again reminds him. He says, you must not bow down to their gods. Talking about the gods of those in, in the land of Canaan. You must not serve them or do according to their practices. Instead, you must completely overthrow them and smash their standing stones to pieces. You must serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will remove sickness from your midst. No woman will miscarry her young or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So here in this passage, you know, what, what we are seeing is when they come into the promised land, they are not supposed to bow down to their gods. They're not supposed to adopt the ways of the people there because the people have become so idolatrous and they've become horrible. Fast forward in the story, Israel doesn't completely wipe them out as God uh, commands. They do intermingle with the Canaanites and they do bow down to those pagan gods. That's what brings about the downfall of Israel uh, later on. God warns them, though, even here. I guess you can say this is part of that test that Moses said that God was doing. Part of that test in the sense of God wants them to succeed. God gives them every ability to be able to succeed. Now it's up to them. What are they going to do? They chose poorly. Uh, we also see in the, the next few verses here, um, he talks about uh, driving these people out and how he's going to do that. And he also tells them that he's not going to drive them out all at once. Uh, one thing that he's he's going to do uh, in verse, uh, in chapter 23, 28, I always find this interesting, especially because here in Metcalf County, uh, the, the mascot of the school is a hornet. And, you know, as you look at it, you might think, oh, hornets are pretty small. And, you know, what can they really do? I think this is interesting because it says here in, in uh, chapter 23, verse 28, I will send hornets before you that will drive out the, and he lists some of these other people. Um, they're going to drive out the, the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. So these hornets are what's going to drive them out. That's kind of interesting. In fact, if you look at it, there wasn't supposed to be as much battling as what you might think of. You know, sometimes we, we think that, oh, Israel comes in and they're just going to completely destroy all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Well, actually, God had other plans of, of driving them out in, in other ways. And one of them was to send these hornets. Hornets can be very uh, persuasive in this case. They can do a lot of damage. They can drive entire nations of people away. God used them here in this instance. And I, I just find this, this, uh, this fascinating to see all the different ways that God uh, works and how he, how he brings about his will. In verse 29, God tells him, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild animals multiply against you. Okay, so that's what he's doing. He's, he's driving them out slowly so that that way the land will be good for them whenever they come in. God is doing so much to provide for his people. 
And he simply asked them to be faithful to him, to follow him. That's what he's always wanted. That's what he still wants. Here in the end of chapter 23, God still reminds them again that they are in this covenant relationship with God. And in verses 32 through 34, God says, you must make no covenant with them. Talking about the inhabitants of the land of Canaan or with their gods. They must not live in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. You fast forward and you find out they completely went against what was stated here. But in this, you see that God gave them every ability to be able to follow him. He gave them the choice. It was their choice to make. It was their decision. Uh, whatever decision they were going to be make, making, it started right here, you know, right now. And we also see that they repeatedly turn their backs on God. But the amazing story about God is he cares enough about them to not let the story end right there. He continues it on and he still, in the New Testament times, he sends his son. And he sends his son so that that way Jesus will, will truly take away the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus uh, came here. And that is part of this covenant relationship uh, with God. And we should be faithful to God because we clearly see that God is faithful to his people throughout generations. Thank you very much for your attention uh, today. I know we've kind of gone a bit longer than usual, but we're covering a few more chapters than usual as well. Um, so if you want to, to at this time kind of read those, those chapters in their entirety, you can get even a little bit more than what we looked at uh, in this video. Also, if you want, it would be a good time to check out the second part of the video uh, for Exodus. Now, this is actually a different video than uh, what I shared with you last week. Last week, I shared with you uh, a part of a video that, that goes through the last half of Exodus. But now this one is going to actually walk through what you see there on the screen. Um, and you can also go to the Bible Project website and you can download um, that to, to print off and everything. And it just kind of really helps you get this idea of the overview about what the book of Exodus uh, is about. And the second part of that is going to deal with verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapters 19 through 40. So uh, that video is great. I highly recommend it. And if you want to follow the link, uh, you can find that link at the video description below.